Welcome to Readers and Writers, a podcast for those who love to read and for those who love to write. I'm Colin Smith with Unlocking the Bible and with me today, Eric Raymond. Eric, thank you so much for the work that you have done on this book that uh, is now out. What does the Bible teach about hell from the Good Book Company? And uh, you took on a difficult subject. You've dealt with it in such a faithful way. Uh, thank you so much for doing that. What drew you to speak about this subject? First of all, thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you and to talk about this. Uh, as far as the topic, it's something that it's one of the questions that I get on a regular basis from whether we're talking about new Christians, unbelievers, or seasoned Christians. It comes up when, whenever somebody uh, dies, uh, when somebody who is rejected somebody's uh, overtures in the gospel, talking with children, and then just my own general nagging curiosity on issues that I want to think through more clearly. I found myself still having doubts and questions that need to be brought back to submit it to the scripture. And then just the feeling nature of the topic uh, as we look around at the world with so many people in it. Uh, so just driving me back again to want to try to put something together that's concise, accessible, clear, faithful that uh, people can turn to when questions like that come up. And you've really done that. Uh, you describe at the beginning of the book uh, going to Niagara Falls and just seeing the water pouring over the edge right. and then this thought coming to you of there are huge numbers of people who are going into a lost eternity and that kind of the pathos of that seemed to have gripped you and, yes. and pushed you into uh, into this subject. I mean it, it does seem to me that's something we need to think about seriously. Oh definitely. Yeah, so thank you for doing that. Now, how did you get into writing? Uh, talk to us a little bit about that before we talk more in, in detail about the book. You started with some blogging, is that right? That's right. So writing, uh, just in general, school was not something that I was particularly fond of growing up. Uh, and uh, reading and writing, both were things that I, I didn't really uh, cherish. <laughs> so I find it funny in, in God's providence to, to be talking to you about reading and writing at this stage in my life. Uh, but it was after I had first gone into full-time ministry, sat down with uh, the senior pastor of the church, and he just said, he said, I'm going to tell you straight up, he said, you have a lot of heat and not a lot of light. Uh, he said, you have, you're really passionate, and what you learn you're really passionate about, but articulating it in a way that's helpful to people you could use a little more time working through those things. So his suggestion was uh, to figure out a medium where I would be able to take the systematic theologies and other books that I was reading and putting it in an accessible way, so write myself clear, basically, as it was huh. said. Yeah. Uh, so at that time, it was about 2005, 2006, the blogging uh, world was kind of taking off, and so I, I was discipling some guys, and I just started taking what I was communicating to them and just putting it in short devotionals and that began a blog right and then uh, as you know with blogs other people read them and then eventually um, you're writing a blog uh, more formally that phrase write yourself clear is a really powerful phrase and uh, I have found it immensely helpful just in terms of preaching to write out in full what I want to say uh, I don't want to be standing there reading it it's got to be spoken uh, out of the heart and uh, and out of the overflow of what is in the heart mm -hmm. but Writing begets clarity, doesn't it? So Definitely. You've used this as a means of teaching yourself, learning. Oh, um, yes. Yeah, it, it's fascinating the way that writing actually does that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you can state something simply and concisely, 
then it forms in your own mind in a way that becomes communicable to others. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah marvelous thing. Now, you've really got into um, some of the imagery in regards to uh, hell that's in the Bible. I mean, it talks about fire, mm -hmm. talks about worm. What's your understanding of uh, these words of Jesus when he speaks about uh, hell in these ways? Specifically, and how to interpret it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, how do you yeah, understand so that? I, I think, so giving us images, uh, is helpful for us to understand something that, you know, obviously a place that we've not been to yeah. uh, and don't have the way to describe it back to us. So Jesus is giving us an imagery to help us to understand what this dreadful place is really like. Right. And so obviously there's a couple of ways you can interpret it, other, you know, literal fire, literal darkness, literal worm, you know, in, in those ways, or uh, symbolically. Right. And so in either way, the answer would be that you would have something that would be extremely terrible, dreadful. So symbols wouldn't be used to communicate something less than the symbol, but yeah, rather right. more than the symbol. So even if you're saying it's in a symbolic way, then that would be communicating something that was even more horrible than the symbol could communicate. Yeah. And then if it's the literal uh, smoke and fire and out of darkness, then you're, you're talking about something um, also that's, yeah. that's horrible. So I think it's, it's God's way of communicating, condescending to us through the medium of language so that yes. we can understand with things that are relatable to us how horrible this really is. Yeah, indeed. Our God is a consuming fire. Yes. And you think of that in the Old Testament, Mount Sinai, and right. uh, yeah, and uh, you have a whole section on who who runs hell, who's in charge of hell, right. and what's what's your answer to that? Well, I believe God is. Yeah, right. I, I grew up getting my theology from cartoons and seeing devils and pitchforks, etc., right. uh, in charge of hell, and so I was quite surprised to find out uh, that the God of heaven is the God of hell in terms of the judge. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. One of the things that's been very striking to me on this is um, uh, sinners being punished in the presence of the Lamb. Mm. So, uh, you know, the idea of kind of escaping from God forever doesn't actually work because right. you can, how can you escape from an omnipresent God who is that's sovereign right. over all things, including even his judgment. Uh, that's right. appreciate that. One of the things that uh, was really engaging to me uh, reading your book is the way that you deal with some of the practical questions, the really hard questions that, uh, that come up. Uh, you deal, for example, with the question of uh, what about people who've never heard the gospel? Right. And uh, what do you have to say on that in regards to this theme of judgment? I think it's important to remember that the people that are in hell will not be innocent people, yeah. right? So all of humanity has sinned. Uh, we learn in Romans chapter 1 that, that everybody, regardless of their exposure to biblical Christianity, the gospel, everybody suppresses the truth and unrighteousness. Mm -hmm. uh, we all have revelation from God, of God, on our own hearts. Mm -hmm. And so there is an active rebellion of all humanity. Some of the font of our rebellion, uh, larger than others, emboldened, but we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So I think it's just important to remember that hell is for judgment upon those who have sinned against God, uh, not simply for those who have heard the gospel or not heard the gospel. Right, yeah, yeah. And then you deal with the question of, you know, is this disproportionate? Um, mm. uh, can an eternity in hell actually be a fair punishment for uh, for, for human sin? And, and you, you use an analogy of someone pulling the legs of a grasshopper. Right. And um, give us your insight on that. Right, so that's a, an illustration I saw in Denny Burke's book on how he contributed to the four views. The book. So uh, I think it was really helpful 
on um, just speaking about the way we think about sin and the way we think about God. So we're talking about the value of God, who He is, and uh, what His glory is worth. And so if somebody were to, you know, as the illustration goes, you know, pull the legs off a grasshopper and you walk by and you see them on a park bench doing that, you're going to think the guy's kind of odd, but you're probably not going to intervene or do anything. You just keep moving. If, if you move up the scale and you do the same thing again and you see him doing that uh, to a frog, uh, you're going to think, oh, this guy's strange, but you're probably not going to intervene. If you ratchet that up and you think that he does it to a, a puppy, for example, well, you might intervene or at least call the authorities. When I was a human baby yeah. and he's doing that, um, no sane person is going to just turn away and walk away because of the value of the one who is being violated or sinned against in this situation, the, the baby. And so when we think about who God is, uh, we're not thinking about God in terms of a grasshopper. We're thinking about him in the highest levels of dignity. And so therefore sin against God is an infinite sin. So we have to think in sin in terms of biblical terms. We have to think of God in biblical terms. And so often we just think in terms of the way we would personally uh, be offended by somebody else. No big deal if someone cuts you off in traffic, somebody um, steals your car, somebody violates something else. That's personally a problem, but in the grand scale of humanity, it's not as big as a big, big crime. Well, when we think about God, it's a big crime. Yeah. Now, uh, the other really big question that you take head on is this question of how can someone who's with the Lord really be happy if someone that they love is not in heaven, but is in hell and experiencing all of that Thank you for taking on that question. I think that's one of the hardest pastoral questions. What help and light have you got on that subject? I think that's a healthy, healthy feeling to have. Yeah. So it shows that we're beginning to think about hell in uh, biblical terms, and we're beginning to, to feel the weight of sin and feel really to love people biblically. So the, I think of the Apostle Paul in Romans who felt the weight of that with his, uh, his kinsmen according to the flesh in Romans chapter 9. And he even say that he could be accursed that they might, might believe. So he felt that weight. So that would lead to action and a desire to, to speak to them about it. But I think when we think about heaven itself, again, we're going to be transformed in our minds. Right. Uh, so all of the noetic effects of sin are going to be removed. And um, whatever we feel that's disproportionate now or, or incorrect now to what is right will be renewed and we'll be made right at the end. So I'm not concerned so much about how we'll feel then, but I think that's a healthy concern to have now, which would lead us to prayer and to action. Yeah. One of the things that I really appreciated about this book uh, is that it is a short book. Yes. I mean, you can read this pretty quickly. Right. It's thorough. It uh, deals with the scriptures in depth, but uh, it's very, very accessible. And so it's the kind of book that could be given to someone uh, read very quickly. Uh, someone can get a grasp on these great issues and think about them clearly. And uh, thank you for doing that. I think that that's something, yeah. What would you want uh, someone to take away from reading this book? Right, so a couple things that came out of it for me just in thinking about it and writing about it. Uh, the first would be gratitude to, to God, uh, specifically to the Lord Jesus Christ for what he has done for us. I mean, when you begin to grapple with hell, uh, you have to grapple with the gospel. So gratitude to God for the plan of salvation is infinite mercy. When you see what hell is, you see what sin deserves, you see what mercy paid for. So gratitude to Christ. And then second would be a burden for the lost. 
and a burden to, to bring the gospel to people that haven't heard, that they might turn from their sins and be forgiven by Christ for what he has done for them. That's great. Well, may that be the outcome. There's another thing that you just touch in the book that I wanted to mention. You talk about the right tone. And I really appreciated that, that if we're going to speak about this, or in your case, writing about this, we've got to have the right tone. And you quoted something that's familiar to me that I really loved seeing. Um, I think it comes from Robert Murray McShane when he was talking with yes. a friend who had been preaching on hell. And uh, McShane said, did you do it with tears? That's right. And you have managed to, to write in a way that has a tenderness of heart, a compassion, it, it flows right from the beginning when you're at Niagara Falls and you're you're feeling the pathos of this and yet wanting to be biblical, biblically faithful and to communicate not only the awfulness of hell but the wonder of Jesus Christ mm, yeah. who experienced all the dimensions of hell in order to uh, deliver us um, uh, from that. So, Absolutely. Eric, thank you so very, thank very you, much. It's a delight to uh, speak with you again. Eric Raymond, what does the Bible teach about hell? And for more, check out unlockingthebible.org.